Welcome to Half Hour of Heterodoxy, featuring conversations with scholars and authors and ideas from diverse perspectives. Here's your host, Chris Martin. Grandstanding, the Use and Abuse of Moral Talk is a new book from philosophers Justin Tosi and Brandon Warmke, and I'll be talking to them on today's episode. Their book is about a new construct called Moral Grandstanding, which differs from virtue signaling and hypocrisy. It describes the use of moral talk to gain status and power. They not only talk about their philosophical work, but also about psychological research they've conducted with Joshua Grubbs, and they explain how grandstanding can degrade our political life. Your book is called Moral Grandstanding. So to begin, can you define what moral grandstanding is and how it differs from, say, hypocrisy? Sure. Uh, Moral grandstanding is the use of public discourse or discussions of morality and politics for self-promotion. So people who enter the public square, enter discussions about hot button issues like immigration or political issues, um, gerrymandering, they enter those discussions to gain status. Um, They're not principally interested in helping others. Um, They're primarily in it for themselves. They're, They're looking to gain prestige. They're looking to dominate others. Um, so grandstanders treat public discourse as a vanity project. And how does this differ from hypocrisy? Well, um, I mean, in the book, we argue that grandstanders um, may actually believe what they say, um, and uh, they may actually be good people. They may actually be really morally impressive. Um, and so someone need not be a hypocrite in order to grandstand, but what grandstands are after what, what grandstanders are after in public discourse is trying to show off. They're trying to use their moral discourse to to impress other people. Sometimes they may be hypocrites, sometimes they might not. You know, a lot of people have probably heard the term virtue signaling. Um, so people will accuse one another of of, uh, of virtue signaling online. And I, th- I think often when people say that, they mean just what, you know, what we're talking about, grandstanding. Um, But I think they also often run in uh, ideas that are kind of frequent companions uh, to grandstanding, but not necessarily uh, in every case. So a lot of times people think that uh, when you're grandstanding, oh, you know, what you're saying is just cheap talk. Um, It's insincere. It's it's purely posturing. Um, But we think it's a mistake to think that that's characteristic of the phenomenon. Um, Actually, uh, we think that there are important psychological uh, features of of human beings that that make us uh, sort of move our our moral views subtly. Uh, And so we end up saying things that we might not have started out believing and that some people will find maybe uh, hard to believe that, you know, someone actually thinks the things that, that they're saying. Um, but in fact, people are sincere when they say these things. Um, and the fact that they are sincere causes still more problems. Um, so in other words, um, grandstanders are not necessarily hypocrites. They're very often sincere. Uh, and the fact that they're sincere is worrisome. So you point out that grandstanders often think they're more moral than they are. You talk about the literature and psychology around our tendency when it comes to broad categories to think we're above average. 
And since everyone does that, how is it that not everyone is a moral grandstander? Yeah, that's a nice question. So think about phenomena like uh, bragging. You know, I, I think most of us, you know, if if what the psychologists tell us is correct, that most of us think we're better than average at lots of things, and that it's important to us that other people have an impression of us uh, as being better than average, and we often go out of our way to manage those impressions. I think most of us, at least throughout life, have a maybe a low-level desire, sort of a background desire to to want others to think well of us. Um, but that doesn't mean that everything I say is bragging, right? I mean, bragging is a unique phenomenon. It's just because I want someone to think well of me when I say something doesn't mean that I'm bragging. So the thought is, is that in order to grandstand or to brag or to demagogue or to lie, the desire, say, to deceive or impress others um, has to be has to be significant. It has to be an important and significant motivator of what you do. So, you know, I think you're right that, you know, a lot of what we do is motivated at least in part by, um, by a desire to, to seek status or desire to impress others. But oftentimes because these desires are weak, we're able to not act on them. I mean, I might want at dinner someone to know how much money I make. It's not much, by the way, but someone, someone at dinner, I might want someone to know how much money I make. But because the desire is fairly weak, I'm able to sort of overcome it and keep my mouth shut. And the thought is something like, look, when, you know, we all have a, have a desire to, to impress others or want others to think well of us, um, at least usually. But when those desires are sort of weak and in the background, when, when we engage in public discourse, we're able to sort of overcome them and not act on them. Um, but when those desires are very strong, uh, that's when that's when we'll be most liable to grandstanding. So our view is that not just that, you know, our, our account of grandstanding is very simple. It just says grandstanding involves saying something in public discourse, say about morality or politics, out of a strong desire to impress others with your moral qualities. And that strong desire bit is really important. It's it's not um, it's not that every every single desire to impress others means that we're grandstanding. It means that you have to, you have to really engage in, in this behavior um, intending to seek status. Yeah. So if you want a, a quick takeaway uh, in the book, we talk about uh, a simple test you can run on yourself to figure out uh, if, if you're likely grandstanding. Uh, so, you know, if you're about to say something about some moral or political issue, uh, ask yourself, uh, okay, suppose I say this and it turns out nobody's impressed. Nobody thinks any better of me at all. If your reaction, you know, to imagining that state of affairs is disappointment, if you think, ah, oh, man, that sucks. I, I was, you know, that suggests you were really hoping to get something out of it, uh, and that you were going to grandstand. And so we say, if that's your reaction to running this disappointment test in yourself, maybe you should should think about uh, about whether it's worth saying. So, in other words, if you're moralizing with humility, uh, then you're definitely not grandstanding. <laughs> if you're a truly humble person, <laughs> would that be fair? Well, so there are lots of philosophical puzzles about about modesty. Um, now. Uh, <laughs> It depends on what you want, right? So if if you think like, uh, 
Oh, I, what I want is for other people to be impressed with my having any virtue, um, then yeah, you're grandstanding. So I think, uh, just the fact that it's about something that, uh, some trait that, uh, that suggests you wouldn't be a grandstander. That doesn't mean you can't grandstand about it. It might just mean you don't actually have that trait. And you point out in the first chapter too, that uh, one prominent example of moral grandstanding in the public sphere is the moral majority uh, in the 1990s, I think was their heyday, although they are still, they do still exist. Um, what are some examples of grandstanding now in the 2010s and I guess we're in 2020 now, so the 2020s, um, that you think are, are, are prominent and bothersome? Yeah, it's an interesting um, feature of, I think, contemporary discourse and the culture wars that um, when people talk about grandstanding or virtue signaling, what they tend to think of are accusations against the left, the, the political left, coming from the political right. Um, and so... You know, Justin and I have been unwillingly conscripted into the culture wars by <laughs> certain academics. And when we talk about this uh, in public venues, it might be lucrative. <laughs> <laughs> we're not, we're not going to sell our souls. Um, not yet. Uh, not yet. Uh, well, it's, it hasn't been lucrative yet. That's, that's so. true. So um, a lot of people want to conscript the, the project, the book, into the culture wars and, and make it, well, this here here's these two, you know, heterodox philosophers trying to undermine the moral discourse, say, of the left. And there's a couple of things to, to say about that. One is, you know, as you rightly mentioned, if you if you sort of flip back the pages of recent, at least U.S. history, you can see that um, that kind of high minded moral talk or moral grandstanding is is not one sided. I mean, like you know, like you mentioned, you think back to the 80s to the moral majority, you think back to sort of McCarthyism and the Red Scare, you think back to all the moralizing about the Iraq war, all the moralizing about um, um, Bill Clinton in the 90s and being fit for office. And so, you know, it would be an interesting uh, sociological or uh, sort of historical question why these trends seem to bounce back and forth from the right and the left. I mean, I think it is true that there's a perception now that the left is sort of moral, more grandstanding than, than the right. However, you know, we, um, with a colleague of mine at Bowling Green in the psychology department, Joshua Grubbs, we've teamed up and we've run over the past couple of years um, about six studies with 6,000 participants and we created a grandstanding scale. And what we've found is that um, uh, as best as we can tell, motivations to grandstand, both for what we call prestige and what we call dominance, both of these, both of these phenomena are equally bi bipartisan. So we we don't find any more inclination on the on the left to use public discourse to show off your moral qualities than on the right. However, we do find that the further you get out on the extremes on both sides people are more likely to grandstand. So, and in fact, this is some, some partial evidence we have that grandstanding might be leading to, to um, ideological and effective polarization is that people who tend to do more of the grandstanding appear to be on the very far political right and the very far political left. Uh, so if you're a politician or you're, you're trying to, you're seeking public office, 
do you think you have to engage in some degree of grandstanding, not just moral, but to general grandstanding in several spheres just to be an inspiring figure? Because you can't entirely campaign just on the basis of policy statements. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and we have a whole chapter just on <clears throat> the grandstanding of politicians uh, in the book. So our general line uh, is that grandstanding among politicians uh, is to be expected uh, because people demand it. Uh, so it's largely a, a demand side phenomenon. Uh, so the mechanism here is people care about the character of their representatives, uh, of, of the politicians that, that they vote for. So they want to see uh, that they're voting for someone who's a good person. <clears throat> so why do they do this? Uh, well, because it's it's sort of a heuristic for them. It's a lot easier to see if, if someone is the kind of person who, who cares about people like you uh, than it is to learn about all their policies and, and whether they'll work. Um, so people kind of take the shortcut. Uh, they say, uh, is this the kind of person I, I would want to have a beer with? Uh, right? Uh, does he care about people like me? Does he care about my interests? Uh, and if he does, right, then uh, I'll vote for him. So politicians, of course, know this. Uh, they know that what the public wants is a morality pageant for them. Uh, and so that's what we get. So we get people uh, putting on a show for us, uh, claiming to care uh, a lot about our plight. Um, and politics is, uh, well, it's dysfunctional for a lot of reasons, but this is one of the reasons that it's sort of dysfunctional, uh, is that we get politicians uh, proposing nice sounding policies that do nothing more really than, than sound nice. Uh, so they sound nice and they don't work. So is your argument that moral grandstanding is bad mainly because it's empty and a form of ostentation? So we have in the book, we, um, we have three separate chapters arguing for three broadly different reasons that moral grandstanding is bad and to be avoided. And I'll just give you a brief overview of those. So we have... We have a chapter arguing that grandstanding has negative social consequences. So it, um, it promotes polarization, it increases cynicism about public discourse, and it reduces the viable signal that emotions that outrage have in public discourse. So, it's, so one, one way to think about the badness of moral grandstanding is simply in virtue of the consequences. It it reduces the social currency of public discourse and makes it harder to have conversations about important moral and political issues. In another chapter, we argue that grandstanding is a, it's a, it's a form of disrespect. Um, there's, we give various, various arguments for this, but one way to think about it is if, if you're using public discourse to, this is especially the case in, you think about like shaming pylons that we've all seen on public discourse, people using others merely as an instrument to make themselves look good by piling on shame and outrage and trying to get people fired and so on. Um, that's, that's not what public discourse is for. That's a show of disrespect. And, um, and so we think that for that reason and a few others, um, Regardless of the consequences, it's disrespectful to treat other people in moral discourse simply as an audience or a, a, a target of your of your anger just to make yourself look good. In a final chapter, we argue um, that um, it's not it's not morally good uh, 
for someone's character to to grandstand. The grandstanding is not um, good evidence of of a high moral character, and we give several arguments for this. One of them comes from nineteenth um, century uh, philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, and, and and the basic argument there is that look, um, uh, morality, whatever morality is for, uh, and and we actually disagree with Nietzsche about what morality is for, but whatever morality is for, here's what it's not for. Morality is not a tool that you should use in your desire to seek power over others. Um, so Nietzsche called this the will to power. We're all trying to overcome obstacles to be excellent people. And, you know, we agree that we should try to be virtuous, excellent people. But we, that's not what morality is for. Like mor- moral discourse and moral talk, moral blame, um, moral arguments the, the purpose of these things is not to gain status and dominate other people. It's in, in this way, we agree with Nietzsche that it, using morality this way as a kind of trick, as a kind of, uh, as a kind of uh, dominance ploy to overcome um, other people's resistance to us is, is pathetic. I mean, this is just not what a morally good person would use um, morality for. So in those three, in those three chapters, we argue that for a variety of reasons, um, we think morale, uh, moral grandstanding is bad and, and to be avoided. Yeah. Uh, so to back up just, uh, for one moment, um, one thing that we see people, you know, who talk about grandstanding and, and virtue signaling, uh, get really wrong. And one thing that we want to correct with this book um, is that people will level these accusations these days um, against any moral claim at all. So any instance of, of someone saying, you know, this is unjust um, or, you know, the right thing to do here is, is X, they'll say, oh, grandstanding, for, you know, virtue signaling, every, you know, everybody ignore this, this, gar- this garbage. Um, so we think that's just a mistake. Uh, so, you know, if you'll notice, we're making moral arguments in this book. Um, we think morality is a good thing, right? Uh, and moral talk uh, is part of, uh, well, moral talk is the way uh, primarily that we advance the cause of morality in the world. Uh, so the worry about grandstanding and, and virtue signaling uh, <clears throat> is that it's a misuse of this project. Right, so far from thinking that uh, we want you know all of these moral appeals out of public discourse, um, we want people to take moral talk seriously. Uh, and one of the big problems with with grandstanding uh, is that it's an abuse of moral talk. Uh, it leads people uh, to be cynical uh, about about moral talk. Uh, so we want to do something about that. So do you feel like you can judge accurately when someone is engaging in grandstanding? To give you an example, it may seem that someone is overly passionate and overly ostentatious about an issue, but then you may find that it's because it personally has affected them in the past or is personally affecting them right now, and you don't know that fact about them. So how do you discern whether someone is grandstanding, or how do you discern whether you're accurately telling 
grandstanding apart from other forms of moralizing. Yeah. This is the $64,000 question. Uh, what does grandstanding look like and how do you identify it? In the book, we argue um, grandstanding is hard. It's hard to identify. And it's hard to identify for a couple different reasons. One is um, an essential feature of grandstanding is the desire to impress other people. And that desire is not transparent to outsiders, right? I can't see inside your head and see what's motivating you. In this respect, grandstanding is much like lying. Um, I mean, the mere fact that someone says something false doesn't mean they're a liar. Lying requires something like a desire or intention to deceive. And so this is why you don't go around calling people liars just when they say false things. Um, and so for one reason why grandstanding is, is often very hard to discern is because um, people's desires are not transparent to us. Another reason why um, grandstanding is hard to discern is because grandstanding uses um, what linguists call indirect speech. So it's very rare for someone who wants to impress other people with their moral talk to just come out and say, I am the most moral person here. I care most about fa the family values or, or justice or whatever. They use, um, they use indirect language to, um, to hide their true intentions. So you might say something like, as someone who has long fought for family, family values, I can't believe someone is actually seriously considering this proposal. It's, it's 2020, do better, right? Now, that doesn't clearly assert that, that I'm a better person than you. But the effect of that is supposed to be upon to impress upon the audience that I really take family values seriously. But of course, there's plausible deniability, right? Um, this is the point of indirect speech. So for these two reasons, um, grandstanding is a lot like other phenomena, like um, bragging or lying or demagoguery, where it's often not clear to us um, what someone's true intentions are. Now, we argue in the book, we give a field guide for grandstanding. We think there are some 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 common forms that grandstanding takes, but that's not a foolproof test. And the upshot of this, we think, is that the right response to grandstanding is once you learn about it or once you've thought deeply about the, the moral philosophy or psychology involved, the, the right response is not to like put up your antenna or your radar and try to like find the grandstanders among us and then like call them out. We think that's just not the right way to think about next steps. Um, we think the right thing to do is, is to think, well, now that I know what grandstanding is, to ask myself when I'm about to, to contribute to public discourse, why am I doing this? Am I doing this to actually do good or am I doing this to look good? And so we think that um, there are lots of reasons not to call people out for grandstanding. And one of them just is that it's often very difficult to know whether people are doing it. And it's unfair. It's unfair to call people out or blame people for grandstanding. Um, just because you don't like what they say or because you suspect they have egoistic motives. We think the better response is is to sort of turn the focus inward and ask, why am I contributing to discourse? Why am I doing this? Yeah, the project of our, our book <clears throat> is uh, is not well described as, uh, you know, grandstanding, how to spot the monsters among us. Uh, it's, it's more about convincing people uh, that grandstanding is a real problem. So we meet people all the time who, who say, oh, you know, people don't do this. <clears throat> and if they do it, it's, it's not a big deal um, and, and so on. The, you know, these are, are the, the questions we're, we're trying to, to take on and say they do do it. 
Um, we can see why from understanding basic findings in, in psychology. Uh, whatever your moral outlook, whatever your preferred moral theory, uh, grandstanding is not a good thing. Uh, and we should avoid it. And we can all do our part in, in reducing its role in our public discourse. So maybe, Justin, you can start with the answer to this one. <clears throat> if moral grandstanding is bad, do you have a formula or technique that you yourself have tried to, uh, when, when you're trying to confront someone who's engaged in an excessive moral grandstanding? <laughs> uh, well, I yeah, I, I have a foolproof technique. Uh, <laughs> that I, Just to walk away. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, exactly. I, I ignore it. So um, look, whenever we become aware of bad behavior, I think it's really natural for us to want to blame people for it, to, to say, hey, you are, you know, you're doing this thing, it's wrong, and you need to cut it out. Uh, but grandstanding, un unfortunately, uh, is we think a case where that approach just doesn't work very well uh, because, you know, largely um, our motivations are hidden from each other, right? So we can't ever, uh, even if we're very confident that someone is, is grandstanding, we can never show to anyone to anyone's satisfaction in public or have someone dead to rights, you know, uh, say this person's grandstanding. So what, what should you do? Um, so don't call people out. We think that's not a good idea. You'll just then get in an argument about, uh, that person's, uh, intentions and what's in their heart. Uh, and that's not really a good thing to talk about in public. Usually, um, people will just accuse you of grandstanding, uh, because they don't understand what it is and they just want to twist the knife. Uh, so what you should do, uh, is ignore people who are doing it. Don't support politicians who just look good in publicity stunts. Don't like your annoying friend's post. Don't comment on, don't argue with them, just ignore it. Uh, and the hope is, uh, that once people stop getting rewarded for grandstanding, once the incentive to do so is, is removed or at least, uh, lessened, uh, then people will, will cut it out or, or at least, uh, do it less often. But what you can do if, if you're looking for something more positive, um, <clears throat> is to try not to grandstand yourself, right? So ask yourself, uh, as we've said a few times, am I doing this to look good, uh, or to do good? And if you find yourself thinking like, uh, you know, if I really look at, a, look at myself hard in the mirror and, and I think, uh, I just want my friends to know I'm, I'm on their side and I'm, I'm one of the good guys, uh, then, then maybe it's time to, to step back and, and find something else to do. <laughs> Do you have anything to add, Brendan, in terms of techniques to, to confront moral grandstanders? Um, no, I mean, I, I think that, I think that Justin's got it right. I mean, I, I, one thing that we mention in the book is simply is trying to make grandstanding embarrassing. And one, one way to do that is just, just try to set a good example for yourself. So focus on, um, you know, um, not drawing attention to yourself. One thing that a lot of grandstanders do is it's a lot of the discussions involve coincidentally themselves, right? Uh, as someone who has long fought for the poor, as someone who has long fought for family values, they, 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 they tend to make the moral discourse about themselves. Um, 
but you know, as we argue throughout the book, moral discourse is it's not really the place to sort of not generally anyway, it's not really the place to sort of push your brand, to push yourself. It's a it's a it's a collaborative project. Um and so one way to try to make grandstanding embarrassing is is to first set an example yourself when you engage in more unpolitical discourse. Try not to focus on yourself. Try to focus on, you know, what's the relevant evidence? What what are the relevant um, issues at stake? Who are the relevant experts um, that, that we should pay attention to? And the other thing is, you know, when people do um, when when people do engage in behavior that you think you might suspect is grandstanding, um, one thing to do is is just to affirm them and say, you know, I I, I see that you really care about this. I, I think that's really great that this is important to you, and I'd like to have a conversation about. And then you pivot to the some some substantial issue, right? So to not make it about them because, you know, it's really painful to have someone attack you in public discourse. I think we've all probably experienced that. And to try to pull away from making these dis- these these conversations so deeply personal that people can detach their own feelings and have a conversation about the substantive issues. So in chapter two of the book, you do jump from uh, you jump to the topic of the need for belonging and how sometimes people engage in moralizing. Uh, even if they don't believe in something as a moral issue just to, to, to belong. And in psychology, that's actually a jump because people usually think of the need for status as one need and the need for belonging as a different need. Now, when it comes to belonging, that's more of a deprivation need. So if you have too little belonging, then you're ostracized, which can be painful. So on the flip side, you think people need to engage in some degree of moral grandstanding just to belong? I mean, if you do you feel like if you moved to a foreign country and didn't at least to some degree pretend to buy into the morals of that culture? And I'm asking because in my personal experience, I moved from, so when I was very young, I lived in Saudi Arabia, which is a very moral religious country in one sense. Then I moved to India. Um, my family was Catholic, so I didn't feel like I understood Hindu values per se, but I had to honor those values to some degree. And then I moved to America. So I have this experience of of faking belief in morals just to fit into a culture. So how much of that is forgivable? Yeah, Justin, how much of that is forgivable? (laughs) Well, there's a lot (laughs) going on uh, in in that question. Um, So I guess, uh, you know, one thing to to keep in mind is we we don't have a general theory in this book of, of, uh, of like moral fakery, right? Uh, We're talking primarily about, about talk. Um, so when, when you have people actually behave acting, right, uh, we think the stakes change a lot in, in ways that are, are hard to make general claims about in the way that we are in the book. Um, but one general thing that I will say, uh, is that although we think that grandstanding, so using moral talk for, for self-promotion and, and like gaining status, um, <clears throat> is always bad in itself. It's sometimes the best thing that you can do. Right. So that is you might just be in a bad situation uh, or a situation where more important things are at stake. Uh, and it just is worth it, all things considered, morally, uh, to engage in, in moral grandstanding. So that might sound sort of paradoxical. But if you think about it, this is in general how morality works. Right? So you can think, uh, you know, killing an innocent human being, uh, that's always bad. That's right? never a good thing to do. 
but you know, sometimes the stars align, uh, and you have no choice, uh, but you know, to avoid even worse moral outcomes, um, you have no choice, but to kill an innocent person. So the same, you can say the same thing about lying, uh, about stealing. Uh, and so grandstanding works, uh, in exactly the same way. It's not ideal, not a good thing, but it could work out. <clears throat> Excuse me. It could work out at least sometimes, uh, to be the right thing to do. So what are your next projects here? Are you, are you planning to do more empirical research on moral grandstanding with Josh Grubbs? Yeah, we're in the midst of a, a pretty long-term longitudinal um, study on moral grandstanding. We published uh, our first empirical paper uh, December 2019 showing, well, validating the original grandstanding scale and then showing that um, – Motivations to grandstand seem to be a good predictor of interpersonal conflict. And then we have a second paper out under review now showing the relationship between grandstanding and civic engagement. We just sent off a paper with Josh last week um, showing that grandstanding um, seems to be uh, driving um, both effective and ideological polarization. And by effective, you mean dislike, liking and disliking of people and groups. Yep. Yeah. yeah. How you feel, you know, how would you feel if your daughter married someone of the, yeah. of the opposing political party and so on? Yeah. Feeling thermometer stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think long-term, so the book, you know, our, the book with Justin is, um, it draws a lot on the empirical work, uh, um, but not mainly the work that we've done with Josh. I think, I think in the long term, we'd probably like to talk to Josh about, Josh may be hearing this for the first time on this podcast. So. <laughs> I'd like to write a book with Josh about the science of grandstanding. Um, so that's that's sort of one part of the project of grandstanding. Jo uh, jo Justin and I are writing another book right now. We just started. It's called Why It's Okay to Mind Your Own Business. And that's just a book on um, social morality. It's a book. It's argues a, it's a kind of an anti-commencement speech book. A lot of commencement speakers say, you know, get out there and change the world. And every problem is your problem. And be a moral busybody and solve the world's problems. And in our book, we kind of say it's okay to ignore all, all that advice and devote yourself to your local community and your friends and um, become a good person. And so it's, it's kind of telling people that it's okay to ignore all that high minded advice that they hear um, at graduation mm -hmm. and carry on as normal. Um, so an argument for moral modesty. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, part, it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a yeah. way of saying like, look, I mean, it's great. You know, if, if you want to, uh, uh, support, uh, a charity that, that fights malarial infections, that's awesome. That's a really good thing, but you know what? Uh, it's sort of overrated, uh, at least relative to a lot of things that, that people, uh, sort of take for granted and don't think of as morally significant projects, like just, being a good father uh, or, or mother, even, uh, you know, helping your kid to read, learn how to read. That's a morally important project, right? So uh, it's not as if uh, the only way you do good uh, is by doing these big, like, uh, global interventions. Um, you can also be a good person by just helping out uh, the people close to you and, just living a good life, uh, trying, you know, pursuing interesting knowledge, trying to achieve worthwhile things in your career. 
Um, these are all uh, things that are not to be sort of poo-pooed uh, morally. Yeah, our our yeah. our next door neighbors might le- might love this book, but we philosophers aren't going to like it. Oh, they're going to hate it so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I do think if you take Aristotle seriously, and if you think of engaging your capacities, if you have the capacity to uh, engage in a project like eradicating malaria, then that is probably what you should do. If your highest capacity is to be a good parent, then maybe that's what you should do. So, um. It's partly self-knowledge that's, I think, at stake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You need to figure out what's right for you, yeah. given your capacities. Yeah. A good a good life is about uh, choosing well uh, from among all of the things that matter. So, great. yeah. Well, it's been great having both of you on the show. Thank you for joining the show. Thanks for yeah. having us, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Chris. Yeah, this is really fun. You can find Justin and Brandon's book, Moral Grandstanding, at bookstores everywhere. And you can also find a short talk about this book on YouTube at the Big Think channel. There's also a talk by Justin Tosi on Wrath in the Seven Deadly Sins series at the YouTube site for the Canadian Center for Ethics and Public Affairs. This will be our last episode before we go on an indefinite break. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the show over the past three years. I've definitely enjoyed seeing your reviews on iTunes and hearing from many of you over email or in person. If you want to get in touch, you can always contact me at podcast at heterodoxacademy.org or tag me on Twitter at chrismartin76. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider joining the HXA network, whether as a member, affiliate, or friend. We welcome everyone. By joining, you'll receive event invitations, our weekly bulletin email, and other special perks. Visit heterodoxacademy.org join for more details and to apply today. This podcast is produced by Heterodox Academy. Find us online at heterodoxacademy.org, on Twitter at HDX Academy, and on Facebook. This podcast is for informational purposes only and doesn't represent the views of Heterodox Academy.